All right, everyone out there in Dreamland, this week we have something a little different for you. We are announcing the release of our first Patreon exclusive content, a Mage of the Ascension miniseries that will be released monthly. So, for your enjoyment this week, here is episode one The Road Home. And remember, in Mage of the Ascension, summer breaks you. It is August 16th, relatively late in the morning on Sunday. It's fairly cool weather for Mississippi in, in August. Right now it's kind of in the mid-70s. You've been spending the last two months getting to know a bunch of new mages, seeing how the mage community actually works compared to the sleepy little town of Starkville and your more lackadaisical, kind of informal style teachings with your mentor... Kayane. You've all pledged to these different orders. You've really grown as mages. Some of you have developed new skills, new powers. You've kind of gotten a taste of what mage politics are actually like. And for the younger of you, it's kind of overwhelming. Aside from the fact that you've just recently awoken to the supernal truth of the universe and are living in a fallen prison, it just keeps getting better and better. But I imagine there is a sense of confidence there as you're now really... You're kind of mage official by your peers. You've all picked shadow names. You've all pledged to join orders. From this point on, it's just a matter of growing and uh, heading down the paths that you want to go. So you're all meeting back up together to drive back, and I believe we decided that it will be Robbie's car. So Robbie, let's start with you. As the others approach from across the parking lot, what do they see? Robbie is about six foot eight because I was a fan of Hulk Hogan at this time, and that's his listed height. He has, since failing out of school, Robbie has dedicated himself physically, so he's in really good shape, but underneath it all he feels kind of bad about failing out and he's lying to his parents about it, so he ha- kind of has a hangdog air about him, but he could also kick anyone's ass because he's huge. Aside from being huge, any unusual or notable physical characteristics? Nope. You don't, you don't have a Hulk Hogan mus- mustache? No, I don't have the mustache. I'm not bald. I don't wear a bandana. Uh, what kind of like clothes, like style of dresses? Jeans and probably like a graphic t-shirt of some sort. Pretty casual. As we'll say, this was his car that we're carpooling in. What does he drive? He drives a minivan. Because <laughs> it's his folks and they gave it to him to get a better car. Nice. Been in Jackson over the summer. What did you tell your parents that you were doing that you weren't coming home? Uh, studying in an internship. Sort of not a lie. <laughs> <laughs> kind of joined the adamantine arrow. Did Robbie want to do that because he believed in the whole credo of self-improvement? Does that kind of resonate with him after his recent failure? It very he much does. Just like, this might be the only thing he's qualified for. <laughs> uh, may, probably a little bit of both. Like, he, you know, he's dedicated himself to improving himself, so that certainly uh, appeals. And you mentioned his physicality has kind of changed. He's in good shape. How much of that was pre-joining the Arrow and all this training he's recently undergone? I think it was definitely started before he joined the Arrow, but as he joined the Arrow, he learned what working out really is about. Prior to joining, did he have any kind of combat experience? A little bit. Like, I like to think he, like, wrestled in high school. 
Has he ever been in an actual fight in a non kind of sparring scenario? Yep. Okay. But he has not like he's hurt some people, but he hasn't you know hurt some people. No, like Steven Seagal crippling anybody and no. No, just like, you know, aches and pains, that kind of thing. And how, how does Robbie feel about magic? Like, is he psyched about it, scared by it? Uh, so we just we had discussed earlier, I suppose I should have said this, when he failed out, he was a biology major, and he is now an Obrimos, so he's kind of weirded out a little bit by the forces and whatnot, because he wasn't, he didn't quite get to physics and chemistry. So he's learning completely from scratch, and which, as we have established, is not his, uh, not his strongest suit. Yeah. How does he feel about the whole concept of arrows, taking oaths, and like self-service, that kind of thing? I think that appeals to him quite a bit. Like he's he's kind of lost at sea and needs to find himself somewhere a star to set his his sail spy. So uh, that's what he's working. Towards. So obviously in Jackson, where the orders are bigger, there's more work for adamantine arrows. But for the, predominantly in, in the south and kind of the Gulf Coast region here, the big fight is down in Louisiana and New Orleans and the area surrounding that. Okay. You maybe have been like probably talked to a lot about it. You might have occasionally glimpsed some like battle plans, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The expectations are kind of that they eventually want you to kind of come down there and lend your part. But since there isn't currently an arrow mage in Starkville, they're kind of fine with you also taking your time, getting used to things. But you've kind of been unofficially tasked with ensuring the safety of the awakened community in the area there. All right. Even though there is no real strong concilium presence or anything like that, the arrow, with the fact that this is kind of like a whole new generation of mages coming up, they want to make sure everything's protected. And you get the sensation that like it's sort of like a joke, kind of like new babysitter kind of assignment. Like there's never been an issue of violence of any kind, at least in the last twenty or thirty years. There, nothing majorly supernatural ever happens. There was like a vampire once, but they were kindly and um, encouraged to move on and get the hell out of Dodge. So it's right. more of an assignment like just... Do you think Robbie treats it as like what it is? Like it's a babysitting assignment or is he kind of taking it more serious? I think it probably wasn't put to him as like, you know, go get your uh, knuckles red there, buddy. I think it was a, a, a training exercise before he's given something a little more meaty. How do you feel about your fellow kind of what we're going to call them juniors here? Um... Basically, you're kind of in that pack that's squarely, like, in the middle of your time here. Like, you've been awakened longer than most of the people in Starkville, but not as much as the seniors. You probably have another year or two before you move on. So these other three people here are probably your closest peers. Um, Have you built any connections with them? Are you kind of just friendly nods? Jeff and Robbie are probably pretty close in age. So that might be the, the closest touchstone. Yeah, so... Some, some overlap there to build off of. I don't think I really know any of them well enough to know what I know yet, so... Jeffrey is is 20, so if that is uh, close to you... Yeah, that's around the same age. Right. Robbie's like 21, 22. Do you think Robbie has any kind of connection to the, the three sort of upperclassmen or any of the lower class mages? Maybe he's, like, delivered Chinese to them or something like that, but probably not, like, a meaningful connection of any kind. Just kind of like a, hey, how you doing, when you see him at, like, the weekly kind of meeting. Yep. Okay. Speaking of your buddy Jeff, you see him walking up. I imagine Jeff probably has a lot of bags with him, and his books are quite heavy, and there's no Kindle yet. 
he's tottering under his backpack, which is stuffed full of books. And then he's got the other bag that he has to carry all his other clothes and stuff in that. So he's having difficulty making his way across the parking lot. Jeffrey's fairly skinny, uh, about 5'10", you know, average height, you know, a little bony even. He dresses fairly well, uh, tends to wear button-down shirts and slacks as opposed to jeans and t-shirts that normal people of his age would be wearing. He's blonde, but has brown eyes. He's a white kid and male. His pronouns are he, him. That's about it. He's fairly average physically. He does, he's not ugly. He's not super pretty. Young dude. Okay. And you've recently joined the Mysterium, which from what you described, your character kind of fits right in. About his general kind of love for learning and his even pre-awakening kind of hope that magic was real and interest in the occult. The Mysterium is all about magic itself as like a living thing. I imagine you might be a little at odds with some of their creed because out of all the orders they tend to view sleepers with the most derision because it's their belief that sleepers through kind of like the shards of the abyss of their soul will actually damage magic if they come in contact with it like they assume that there's actually some things that have been lost to time just because sleepers happen to cross magical artifacts or books so they tend to take a dimmer view on on the normal people out there Um, how does jeffrey feel about that you are correct. Jeffrey does acknowledge the fact that sleepers damage magic, but he doesn't see that as something that is their fault. He blames it on whatever it is that caused the whole sleeper phenomenon to begin with. Basically, in the time before history, there was a kingdom of mages, and some of them wanted to physically go to the supernal realm. So they built a giant artifact to get them there, and another group of mages thought that, that was a bad idea. They fought, and they lost, and the ones that won became exarchs, gods of the supernal. During that battle, they ripped a hole into the abyss, which now separates the supernal realm from this world, and makes it so that magic is harder to do down here, causes paradox, and makes people forget about magic. Ah, well there you go. God beings that are using every form of human oppression to keep everybody asleep. So you probably don't like them very much either. Yeah, that's the thing. So, like, Jeffrey doesn't blame the sleepers for being sleepers. He blames the Exarchs for making them, you know? Okay. So he hasn't quite gotten the the jaded aspects of maybe a a tired old Mysterium mage. No, every single sleeper out there should be, eventually, they could be a mage. Like, that would be the best world if we could wake everybody up. So just a little background on Jeffrey is he's from Knoxville, Tennessee. When he was young, he went to high school. You know, he got along well with other people. He just was bored all the time. Like, he didn't really like anything. School wasn't necessarily super easy for him, but it was also not hard. And it was just not interesting. He did it. He went to college because that's what he was expected to do. But in his... First, when he first went to college, he was undecided as far as major. He didn't even pick a major. But in his first semester there, he took a philosophy class. And the the way that philosophy challenged reality and challenged perception of reality and the way you even thought, that was the first time that he started to get excited. And so that's when he really delved into philosophy and questioning reality and questioning the way that we interact with the world around us and that he to this date still believes that that was a large part of why he awoke 
Absolutely. Not just some random lottery. He believes that other people, if they were taught to question reality in, the, in a safe way, they too could be awoken. So how does he feel about some of the less savory kind of things the Mysterium does? So the Mysterium believes in the preservation of all magical knowledge, good or bad. Did he get any exposure to some, maybe some of the darker objects of magic that the Mysterium might be safeguarding? How does he feel with the idea that, you know, you know these are things that are only ever going to be able to possibly use for, for bad things, but we're keeping them anyways and studying them anyways? Like, does that appeal to the academic nature of him? Does it frighten him? Is it something he wasn't really exposed to? There is no bad knowledge. Um, I don't believe that he would have ever stood in the presence of some of these dark ones, because that might have changed his view. But just the uh, thought, you know, the idea that we have dangerous artifacts and we're studying them, he doesn't find any problem with that. Okay. Because to him, that I mean, he sees the view. from every Everything that is out there, especially powerful magic, is a source of learning, and we can use it to, you know, we can learn from it and become more powerful and, and help more people and stuff like that. And I don't think he would have thought too much about what would happen if they got out or anything like that. So maybe even Jeffrey's point of view, there's no truly completely evil magic. There's just magic we don't understand how to use in a good way yet. Exactly. Okay. So how does he feel about the fellow awakened in Starkville? How does he feel about uh, Kayane, who um, was kind of like this kindly older man, you know, kind of really... You mean dad? Oh, don't tell him I said that. So you do have like a father <laughs> kind of feeling like respect towards him? Yes, I uh, want to be him. Okay. He's so awesome. He knows like everything. And you actually would have encountered him through the university because he is actually a philosophy teacher there as well. Mm-hmm. And he's got a lot of personal hobbies about anthropology and things like that. So I imagine your first time visiting his home, where it's just like the gathering place for everyone in town, like going through the different artifacts and things he's had collected from different cultures across the world. It's probably like a field day for Jeffrey there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, how does he get along with his fellow Awakened? Like I said, there's about three sort of senior mages who were at the point you're at now, like earlier in the year, and a good five people that are kind of just a month or two in, one or two, even just a couple of weeks in. Uh, there is another um, younger uh, Obrimos, uh, a girl named Sarah Young, who's about 17, it's still in high school, and so she's of your same path, and just she awakened just a few weeks ago. Well, a few weeks before you left to receive order training yeah he has a crush on sarah but he hasn't said anything about it he's too shy and she's too young as far as the other awakened he just loves them like he's giddy whenever he's around other awakened because magic is so cool so other people that can use magic are inherently cool like these guys are all cool now some of them might give him the cold shoulder obviously you know they may not get along with him and he'll just be respectful and give them space but secretly he's still like it's cool we're gonna be buds we're all gonna be best friends I, I know. We're going to be best, best friends. And then your your fellow juniors here that you've um, very much awoken around the same time at, kind of kept pace with, and who journeyed to Jackson with together, how do you feel about any of them? Anything in particular? Robbie there is a fellow Obrimos, although earlier on it seemed like he was leaning more towards forces, but who's to say now what he's learned? That's cool. Robbie's like a big brother. I feel safe when he's around, and he's not mean to me, so... We're, I think he's really cool. As far as all the others, uh, let's see. Sophia, yeah. He would think Sophia is really awesome. 
but I don't know how Sophia reacts to him because he's a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. <laughs> so, speaking of, so Sophia, you're kind of approaching the parking lot, I imagine, from a, a, the back angle to kind of avoid other people seeing you. Just some of that guardian training already rubbing off on you. And uh, you see Jeff there, just, like, struggling to drag all of his bags across the parking lot to Robbie's van. So let's go and get a description of Sophia. Sophia is 5'9", about 156 in poundage, so she's not skinny, but she's not ginormous either. Of Latina descent, she's got long hair that flows down her back. It's very black, except for the last six inches are stark white, as if maybe she tried to, to dye it once upon a time, and that dye is now gone. Uh, she wears white chambray pants, a sea green tank top tucked into the chambray pants, and sea green dock shoes, no socks. Also around her neck at all times, there is a silver pendant with an hourglass in the center of it. So tell us a little bit more about her. Like, Is she from the area? Is she in college? How old is she? She's 23 and she's a student aide. Okay. So what's like her kind of like degree in? Aerospace engineering. Okay, so she's an engineer. Right. Woke to the path of the acanthus. So she's obviously a very intelligent girl. What was her life like kind of before? Is she actually from the area? Did she like kind of come here out of state or? Ah, she came here out of state because they gave her the best scholarship. Okay. Does she like Mississippi in general? (laughs) I mean, it's a place. It's a lot hotter than where she came from. So she's still not quite used to the heat after all these years. Thus the tank top at all times. But otherwise, I mean. Does she have much of a life here? I mean, she obviously she's been here for at least four or five years. I mean, does she have, like, a a close group of friends she's met? Any relatives? Or is she kind of, like, more of the loner type? Yeah, she probably has three close friends, and they are all in aerospace also, because their idea of a good time is either to go to a movie or study together. (laughs) Okay. So what appealed to her? uh, What about the Guardians appealed to her? Like, when all the different representatives of the Order kind of came down, and uh, Yane introduced you all to them, what about their sales pitch really like, kind of stuck with her? Their structure. Also, their unwillingness to just accept that any old smuck should be awakened and is deserving of the power. Because, of course, everyone doesn't deserve the power. Some people just have it, don't know how to use it, or use it all willy-nilly, and, of course, they need to be dealt with appropriately. Does that kind of cynicism about the nature of other awakened kind of come from anywhere in particular, or is it just... A series of life lessons that just all kind of conglomerate in the fact that, you know, people shouldn't be trusted with this kind of power. Uh, Well, as it presently stands, she spent years trying to explain to people that the Awakened definitely exist. She'd send a couple of them from time to time in the Wiccan shops. And through trial and error, she met some good mages and some really bad mages. So she feels personally that some people just don't deserve to have it because they don't know how to use it and it's not okay. Okay, so definitely so people that you believe in the supernatural kind of ilk have sort of proven to you that they could be a bit excessive with their power. Yes. All right. With the Guardians, uh, basically you have to prove your willingness to kill for the cause. Oh, yeah. It can be an engineered scenario where basically they kind of like spend the beginning parts teaching you all these things you got to do. Like, you shouldn't be doing this, shouldn't be doing that. And then they kind of gradually insert somebody into your life that encourages you to go ahead and break the rules. So, with her kind of uh, test for the veils, did she actually kill somebody? Was it basically an elaborate setup where you thought you did? Or did, they actually, did you actually uncover a, a corrupt mage and kill them? 
Oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm assuming that somewhere within this dealing with the Wiccans and the people that aren't actually awakened and are actually awakened, I would have discovered one of the bad apples that is drawing people down the incorrect path, and that would be the one, be it guy or girl, that I absolutely would be more than willing to do away with. How'd you kill Ah, I slid his throat in the middle of the night. Did you, was it more like a, a just an act of stealth, like a breaking and entering, kill them while they're sleeping, oh, yeah. or was it more of a, like, kind of long con, oh, teach me, uh, I'm your friend, and then a betrayal? It was more like a breaking in the middle of the night, kind of stealthy, slitting of the throat. And was this something she accomplished on her own, or did she need, like, ask for backup from her fellow guardians? No, no, she said, definitely, I'm going to do this on my own. And does it bother her? Like, I mean, obviously she buys into the responsible use of magic, and the Guardians believe that it's worth the price of their own souls to do that. As presumably a bright young woman with a future and a relatively lucrative career, how does she feel about kind of like segueing into this, possibly risking herself and, and her mystical well-being to ensure that everybody else is okay? That's the entire point of the Order. We do what we have to do. And she's fine with that. Like, it's just it just clicks with her? Absolutely. Okay. How do you feel about the fellow mages in Starkville? Like, Keane is a fellow Acanthus, so he probably would have taken a pretty big hand in some of your early training, since he actually could teach you how to use your Arcanum. And to your knowledge, he's never done anything wrong. But real quick, I want to get to our first die roll of the session. Oh no, not the dice! <laughs> so our during your time in training, kind of, you got the sense that some of your initial instructors were prejudiced against you in the beginning. Right. So if you would go ahead and give me uh, an empathy and then whatever attribute you feel would kind of help you pay attention to why they're treating you this way or maybe give you an insight to it. I would traditionally go off something either social or possibly wits, uh, but if you could justify something else, I'd be all for it. Uh, But skill-wise, it's going to be an empathy because it's kind of picking up on other people's emotions and kind of what they're thinking. Alright, rolling away. Uh, no penalties. Uh, Blanket roll. 8, 8, 5, 10, 5. So you can re-roll that 10 if you'd like. And I will. You would have to come up another 10 in order to get an exceptional success, but you definitely succeed. Right. Alright, so during your time there, you've managed to kind of like keep your calm and picked up little key phrases and just attitudes and then managed to kind of, maybe you got somebody drunk one night and, and be able to kind of apply them for a little bit more information. It turns out that a lot of the Guardians do not like Kayane. Apparently there was something in his past or somebody he was associated with that was considered a left-handed mage. Oh, no. From what you've gathered, like, they've never been able to find any proof that he himself is left-handed, and certainly nobody he's ever, like, mentored has gone that route. But, especially amongst the older Guardians, like maybe 20-30 years ago, something happened to kind of blacklist him in most of their minds. Copy. And how would that feel to Sophia? Like, does she actually like uh, Karyane? Is she just kind of like, okay, teach me whatever? So he seems like a very affable fellow, like, probably took a special interest in you as a fellow Acanthus. I mean... I like him. I feel like people deserve to be treated by their individual merit. To your knowledge, he's always stressed responsibility. Well, then I like him even more. Like, he's, he's never... You got the impression that Acanthus tend to be very reckless. 
trusting in their powers over fate and time to just either not get in bad situations or undo them if they do. But he has always seemed rather measured and kind of cautious. To your knowledge, he's never cursed anybody or set anybody on a bad fate, even though people have occasionally been rude to him before. Hmm. So yeah, you've never seen any personal aspects that reply that he's done anything worthy of being labeled left-handed. As far as your fellow mages, um, the the three that are a little bit older than you and have been there a little longer, any thoughts or feelings or interaction with them, or is it more just like an occasional, hey, what's up? Yep, it's pretty much just, uh, hey, how's it going? I spend most of my time trying to be studious, so I don't have a lot of time to talk talk to or hang out with these other people. So one of them is another Acanthus as well. Mm. Younger guy, like 22, of Asian descent. Uh, His name is Ruishi which is, stands for the Lion of Good Fortune. He seems like a pretty nice guy, definitely leading more towards the fate aspects of Anacanthus. Not quite so much time. Uh, and he has yet to pick an order, is not quite sure if he's going to. He's kind of getting at that point now where it's now or, or never. Otherwise, pretty nice guy, but again, it sounds like they're kind of more just social pleasantries, and that's about it. Uh, any feelings about the younger kind of crowd that, that are coming up now? Uh, there is another Acanthus amongst them, uh, a young boy named Eddie Hill, about 19 years old, going to the <laughs> I, university here. Gotcha. I would probably tend more to lean towards the Acanthus just because they have something in common with me, and it's not like I can talk to my physics buddies and my fucking aerospace buddies about magic. Uh, and then the fellow junior classmen here, the ones that rode up here with you, they kind of all awakened roughly around the same time. Any particular thoughts and feelings? Uh, we've kind of established that, that Jeff there is, like, I would use the word hyper-likable, maybe, like like trying to be everybody's friend. And then, of course, you got the giant Robbie over there. So as you see I mean, Jeffrey struggling across the parking lot, what are your thoughts about these two uh, these two men here? They haven't given me any reason not to like them as of yet. As it presently stands with Captain Hyper, it's fine. I've got younger siblings. I can completely tune that out while staring at a book. And then the fourth and final member of your little group here is probably closer to your age than these two. And with that, let's cut to you, Cleet. As Rowan is walking up, what do we see? Blue suit. I'm probably actually well-fitted at this point. I was trying to think about that at the, at the, at the end of this... At the, at the end of this summer internship, yeah, well-fitted blue suit, dark hair, good-looking, has a roller bag. Yes. Definitely dressed to impress. And you are a member of the Silver Ladder and, and a lawyer. Uh, so what appealed to you about the ladder? Now your you're sort of mentor here, uh, Kayane, is also a member. Was it something that maybe... His bias kind of influenced you a little bit uh, with something about their politics. What is it that appealed to you that out of all the orders, like, it's like, this is the one I think I want to join? The world runs on bureaucracy. The mage world apparently has a bureaucracy. Ergo, this must be where the power is. So did it kind of come to, as a relief uh, to Rowan when he found out that there wasn't, there was more to it than just a kind of a Sunday brunch and a very lackadaisical Southern kind of charm? That there's actually people that are like, have structure and order, and there are, like, a, a ranking system. Not only that, that apparently there are people out there that actually, you know, know what's going on. Yes, and you actually would find that, like, the, the orders themselves, despite regional variations, are world-spanning organizations that have been in existence for hundreds of years. So there's a sense of tradition there as well. 
Is it like just a comfort because it's familiar to his pre-awakened life? Or is it something more like, here's the system I can climb to the top at? This is like, does it more just appeal to his just general view of the world? Or is it more of like a cutthroat, here's another ladder I can climb? No pun intended. Uh, no, it, it's more as his general view of the world, because even before all this, he ne- necessarily want to climb to the top, but systems, well, the best systems are made of people, because those can be manipulated. Physics, from what he could remember in school, kind of, you know, things that are, and biology is a lot of hit or miss work, just look at how much doctors claim they do or don't know, but people... People are the weak point in any system, and they're also the strength. And being able to know that the mage world isn't just a bunch of magic with potentially random rules and a bunch of people knocking about, doing whatever they want, to know that there are systems of people involved makes it all relatable. Nice, so kind of natural fit there. Um, is there anything about the other orders that bothers him, or just that he finds distasteful from like their initial sales pitch, or is there any maybe another order he was thinking of joining before this one, or was it pretty much like the second people to pitch with the silver ladder? You're like done. Don't even don't even send the other guys in. No, the free council had a lot going for them because honestly, all this Atlantis stuff sounds about as believable as all that Garden of Eden flood stuff from the Bible that he grew up with. Like, yeah, maybe it was something, but it's probably definitely not that. And the fact that they, everyone clings to that, I'll be generous and say metaphor, is a little disturbing, because he was hoping this was going to be more intellectual and less religious. But at the end of the day... Uh, while the Free Council may see that part clearly, they don't have the rest of their shit together. Because democracy is great on paper, but... By the same reality, we talked about earlier, people are fallible and strong, and if everybody exact, gets an equal vote, that's putting fallible people in a position where they can affect change that would be detrimental. So yeah, I can definitely see why yeah, you Yeah, exactly. Just that. because you're a person doesn't mean you should have a voice. Uh, um, so he, his parents' death have brought him back into town. How is he dealing with that? Badly. Badly. He still carries sadness on him from all of that. Has he attempted to use magic to in any way mitigate that? I think it depends on how you mean mitigate. Well, with, um, with mind, and beca- recently becoming a disciple of mind, I mean, you have a lot more control over the emotions you allow yourself to feel. Oh, no, 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 no. That's why I have the praxis I do, because I kick that in and then indulge. Alcohol, sex, whatever. But you're not like just magically walling off your, your sadness to a part of your corner of your brain. You're... No, because I come from a long line of southern families, and the best way to do it is you drink. There you go. It doesn't require mana to drink a fifth of whiskey. It doesn't. But the best part is, is that I can use magic to make it so they don't have to drink as much whiskey to get that drunk, which lessens the hangovers the next morning. There you go. And with your little bit of life knowledge, you could even cure those up. So the, let's talk about the life real quick. Everybody else is kind of stuck to their path arcana. What was it about the life arcana that interests him? Enough to he wanted to start learning it a little bit more. His parents' death. But 
it still shook him so much that he wasn't willing to go to death. Gosh, didn't want to have to like potentially run into their ghosts and confront that kind of thing. But yeah, well, and knew that he would probably be tempted to try to call up their ghost or something. Yeah, but life. I mean, thinking about life and more specifically death, I could definitely see delving down that path. Because life is short, and that Arcanum can maybe help him know when the you know when time is running out. Yeah. How does he feel about the awakened community in Starkville? Like, uh, most of them are younger than you. Like, I'd say a good full 75% are college kids. Sophia's closer to your age, still working in the education field, but is a little more professional. The upperclassmen are either graduating or working on, like, their master's. The only other, like, adult adult really is um, Karyane himself, but he's an educator. Do you feel like the, the black sheep, like the odd man out? Like, does it bother you to have to essentially associate with kids? Or do you take on a more mentorship kind of role because you've already been through all this and law school? And clearly, you know, you, you're a smart man who can deal with this kind of thing. I think it's more a state of, because he's 25, he'll be 26 soon. Right now, he thinks that Starkville's going to be his future for a while. For, for a good while. Yes, there's all the magic stuff going on and all that, but he also inherited his father's law firm, and he has to do right by that. So everyone else is looking at this as being transitory. And that's fine. I mean, it's a college town. You know, he grew up here. He, he knew that. And there's a bigger mage world out there, so, you know, that's fine too. But by the same token, he's not trying to get overly attached to anyone because they're going to go. So on that note, has he thought about potentially trying to form like a local concilium for the area here to like maybe mimic some of the things he saw in Jackson? The idea to create one has occurred to him, but he knows that he, for it to work, it has to have a good starting foundation and transitory members will not be it. Gotcha. So, you know, he's going to, He's probably starting to make plans on cocktail napkins and doodles on the back of notepads about it. But at the end of the day, he sees there's only going to be, in five years, there'll only be two two people still here. And two people's not enough. Because like Sophia there, you did probably pick up on a little bit of prejudice against Karyane. Nothing that was directed at you. Um, you weren't looked at as possibly tainted or anything like that. But it was more... Well, let's see what you roll. Uh, so again, I would say empathy is the skill, but whatever attribute you can justify like about how you picked up on this kind of information. You know, Take your fellow silver ladders out for a night of the town. I can see socialized working as well. My socialized empathy are the same, so... Anything you want to do. But whatever... I, I can easily see those two stats. I'm open to other things as well. Maybe persuasion. Whatever you would do to get people to kind of open up and sort of spill the beans here. And I'm going to say with composure, because controlling how you respond to information is the easiest way to make sure that they keep talking. Absolutely. With this, you're going to have a minus one penalty. This is due because unlike the Guardians who are derisive of it and it's like not really a secret, this is trying to be kept under wraps by the fellow Civil Ladder, so that's just a minus one die penalty for it. Okay, and that's a 10. So one uh, success. So yeah, people are a little tight-lipped at first, but you know, you, you keep your calm, 
you kind of eventually over the, the couple months here starting to pry it out. But what it sounds like, Karyani is in the position he's at for two reasons. One, he's fairly good at it. He's a likable person, and he's not overly ambitious. So him playing essentially nursemaid to a bunch of freshly awakened people, kind of perfect spot for him on the ladder. The other thing is that he is kind of being punished as well. From what you've got a couple people to spill like the, the secret on, which they really shouldn't have, is that his mentor eventually was outed as a left-handed mage. As punishment, essentially, he was killed. And then it kind of ruined Karyane's any potential for advancement. It doesn't help also because they share the same legacy. Although from what you heard, Karyane is not very well initiated into it. And the more obscene practices of it were kind of at the higher end. No word on what they actually were. Yeah, but they've all, I mean, I've also already learned at this point that a legacy's like the mob. Once you join, you never get out. Yeah. So it's kind of like, like I said, he's kind of being punished for his mentor's mistakes. Uh, but it also happens to be a role that he seems to fit pretty well at. And from what you've known of the man, he does seem to legitimately care about people and, and wanting to make sure you guys start off your awakened career with every opportunity to kind of go the direction you want. He's an excellent recruiter, and they stuck him someplace where he really can't affect anything else of meaning. Pretty much, yeah. So he's no danger. And you get the sense that if he was truly, like, tainted by this legacy or his master, they would not trust him to be out alone with all these mages and be, like, the first kind of point of worldview for freshly awakened people. So it's probably you don't feel like there's any danger to it. Socially... You're not quite sure if you continue to forge a strong relationship with him, will you be looked down upon too? Will there be rumors that you picked up the legacy? Um, you'd have to learn more about the legacy to kind of figure out if that's something that could be a, a real danger to you politically. So, I, Real quick, how do you feel about your, your fellow mages here? Specifically the, the ones you rode up here with. Like I said, Sophia's close to your age. Uh, the other two are pretty much 19, 20-year-olds. Robbie, I'm pretty sure, especially after looking at this wonderful minivan for the second time now, I'm surprised he was in college to begin with. <laughs> Jeffrey? Oh. Oh, Lord. Well, first, he just seems to be broadcasting to the world, Hi, I'm naive and optimistic. Uh, and second, he's got the entire attitude of that... Uh, sorority girl that tries too hard? <sighs> God, I'm a try hard. Which is fine. There's nothing wrong with those girls. But you're not really looking forward to this hour and 40 minute drive back, are you? I mean, I've sat through depositions that were worse. <laughs> and speaking of depositions, how is your father's firm doing? Especially since almost not a few months after inheriting it, you had to step away for this little vacation. Were you doing a lot of work over the phone? Uh, whenever you could oh. squeeze a free minute? Probably over the phone. I feel like my father, most of my father's work was civil work. And so after the death and the transition of the firm, it was likely easy enough to get the time off. And I probably would have made sure to clear up uh, any criminal cases he had before leaving, which is how I ended up doing my horrible, regretful thing. Gotcha. And Sophia, Sophia seems nice enough. I mean, she's an engineer, apparently, 
which is fine. I wouldn't know what to talk to her about. It seems like she probably wouldn't know what torts are. So just nothing and really in common. Just I mean, and she's pretty enough. Um, but they're clearly my class of 1992 here, so <laughs> I can't alienate them. I just don't have to be And you're personable enough and, and socially skilled enough to not alienate them, but yeah. I'm just curious what you actually kind of felt. Not, not, not to say you even project even hint of that. Uh, so real quick, who here is... Obviously, we've all picked your shadow names. Who is recently come into it over the last two months, or who has already been having it and starting to build up a persona with it? Would your fellows here know your shadow name is kind of what I'm getting at, or is it something you finally settled on while training with your order? I feel like they would know my shadow name. I would have I would have come up with mine during the uh, training with the order. So you have a new shadow name to share with people then? Uh, I would assume you all know at least each other's first names. It probably wouldn't be too hard to find out some of your last names, especially since... One of you is employed by the college, two of you go there, and one of you operates a law firm in town. Uh, however, yes. your as far as your you know your sympathetic name, I doubt your middle name is common knowledge unless somebody actually folds some kind of legal document. It's up to you if you've actually shared your full sympathetic name with any of the other awakened here. Bear in mind, not knowing that name makes it hard for people to cast sympathetic magic on you, which is good and bad, depending on who's doing that casting. Right. And you all are aware that, like, you know, while being mages, part of the whole idea of a shadow name isn't just a cool, like, you know, moniker. It's kind of walling off your mage persona to kind of protect your mundane life from magic spilling out of your nimbus and causing harm. You're also weak, like, and, and knew that that's not really much of a danger yet, but building up this shadow persona is important. It's important that when you're being mages, you address each other by your shadow names. When you're being people, you can call each other by their names. And then especially for those that took it as a merit, like you are literally crafting a mystical persona to use as a tool of magic. So like, I imagine for, I know, Cleet, you have shadow name for Rowan. Yeah, and I figure that Jackson probably impressed upon me, because he is latter, early on that that is an important thing to establish. And I probably had started establishing it before I left. Not that these people wouldn't know my name, my my mortal name, just that I never gave it to them. It's just one of those, you know, I'm a pseudo public figure. I can't I can't keep them from actually knowing my my mortal name. Yeah, like I kind of feel like all of you would have like first name basis. Anybody who actually took you know an hour to dig into it could find somebody's last name. And anybody with enough connections or just gumption could learn a full name, like middle name included. Like, I probably, on his advice, not have introduced myself to them as Rowan. I probably would have introduced myself to them as Sevagoth, but not gotten upset when they figured out my name was Rowan. All right, so let's kind of pick up there. You're all walking towards um, Wheels' car. Well, I guess at the moment he's probably Robbie. So we got Jeff struggling with his luggage. We've got. Uh, Rowan casually kind of strolling up. Actually, real quick, does anybody own a cell phone? I would say you probably have to have resources too to justify a, a cell phone in 92. I'm certain that in order to keep his work done, Rowan absolutely has a cell phone, but it's probably a bag phone and he keeps it in his bag. He uses it to call out, not to have people call him. Right. But does anybody else, like either their background or have enough resource dots that they could casually have a cell phone? Nope. No. 
I think the only other person with even resource dots is me, and I don't have enough. So without resource dots, you are still, you're not homeless, you don't not have money. You basically have enough money to eat and have a place to stay, but like extraneous purchases are kind of beyond you. Cleet, for your being a lawyer, you could say that right now, like your money's tied up in the inheritance or getting the law firm. Maybe you're like listing the house and so you don't have any disposable income at the moment. I've got resources three. Then yeah, you have plenty. Like yeah. that everything's gone through, you've gotten a sizable inheritance for your family. <laughs> you probably have like your own place to stay if you don't want to live in your dead parents' home. Oh, I I am definitely keeping an apartment right now to not live in the in the family home. Uh, Tess, does Sophia have her own place? Does she have roommates? I'm going to assume that Jeff lives on campus, probably in the dorm. Definitely yep, an apartment yep. with roommates. And then, Robbie, where are you living? Are you still, like, crashing with your dorm mate, like, pretending, even fooling even him that you still go to school? No, I think I think people there know. Uh, I think I probably have a cheap apartment somewhere that I barely managed to hold on to with my uh, delivery... Ah, uh, so is your is your resources like one that. dot like the leftover money your parents gave you, or is it? Yep, it's a little of both. Leftover money from my folks and the odds and ends jobs, given a little bit of money. Okay, so Rowan and Robbie both have resource dots. I can't remember. Did, nobody else has any dots and resources, though, right? Nope. Nah. Living at your means, like you have enough money, you can have a nice apartment, but like all your money's kind of tied up into having that nice apartment. All right, so you're all walking across the parking lot. Like I said, we got Jeff there struggling. Rowan just somehow making it look like he's like just got off of like a, a private jet, and his the wind is artfully blowing his perfect hair. Doesn't not a single drop of sweat on his fancy suit. I'll go give Jeff a hand. Okay, a hand. I can probably pick up several of those bags by myself just fine. Yeah, he's just got the two bags. You're getting ready to spend two hours together in the car. <sighs> Ah, gee, Robbie, thanks. That's such a help. Oh, this bag is killing my back. Ah. What is in this? Oh, I got a treatise on the truth of the supernal world. I've got uh, an entire list of platonic forms and the geometrical calculations. I got uh, uh, a new cast iron pot. Oh, God. Yeah, just stuff like that. (laughs) At this point... Robbie just one-hands it into the back of the minivan. Cast iron pan? Oh, yeah. I never go anywhere without my own with my, without my cast iron. There's like a, a just a second of dead pan staring at you. Uh-huh. No pun intended. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. A pun was intended, thank you. Uh, real quick, who has here. weapons other than just a knife to use as a standard tool, Yantra? Does anybody have a gun or more sturdy weapon of any kind? Negative, Captain. Not that I would have with me in Jackson. Fists. Because that's just that's just inviting trouble. What about our newly minted arrow here? Nope, fists. No brass knuckles, anything like that? Nah. Just checking. At the moment, if Robbie used a weapon, he would probably end up hurting himself more than he would actually putting in a fight with his fists. <laughs> I mean, I carry a knife, but it's just the knife that I slit that guy's throat with. It's more like a badge of honor than anything else. Well, a knife is a universal tool. Like, I mean, it's um, it's considered a path tool because it's so ingrained in sleeper society as a symbol of the supernal. So it is useful for casting spells. 
So I imagine yeah. most mages probably hit. I would assume most of you have a set of a basic set of path tools. You all have your dedicated tools as well. I imagine you don't go. I personally have a mage, but not go anywhere without it. If I if I had one. Nope, mine stays right. in my coat pocket. Mine also lives on my person. Mine are my car keys, so they're on me. And I definitely don't care. Go around carrying a uh, a giant metal pot with me everywhere I go. <laughs> now does Rowan no, say I, that as he's putting his own bag in the van? I like to think there's a clang as the bag lands in the back. <laughs> when Jeffrey takes his backpack off and puts it in the trunk, he pulls out one big book that he's had with him since before he left. That's a good question. He, Where did Je- uh, Jeffrey get that grimoire? Is it somehow an object uh, he like brought back with him from his awakening, or is it something he recently found? Was he given to him during this little training session here? I like to think that Kayana gave it to him, because uh, they already knew each other before he awakened, and when he awakened, Kayani was one of his first people to speak to him, and you know he looks up to Kayani and you know, so always hang around and kind of sees him as a mentor, even though he's not actually a mentor. And I think that, like, they're pretty close. And this was a gift that he got, mostly just because he could use it, and it was interesting. And then you've subsequently, over the last few months, dedicated it to a magical tool. Indeed. Uh-huh. Yeah. I slide in, pull my Walkman out of my backpack, and then I pull out my grimoire, and a book called Python for Mechanical and Aerospace Engineering. Just hop in. Are you hopping? Who's anybody riding shotgun in this van, or is Dan going to be a taxi driver taking you all to the airport? I will definitely ride shotgun. I'm not allowed to ride shotgun because there's a woman in the group. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Welcome to 1992, bitches. Enjoy your time in the back with Jeff. <laughs> my great-grandmother would call out of the grave. Yeah, 100%. When Sophie is walking up to shotgun, Jeff kind of like takes that cool pose, leans an elbow against like the windshield. He's like, hey, what's up, Sophia? But it's, then he like slips because the windshield's angled. So he kind of just slides down. Yeah, she just opens the door and gets in without saying a word. He's like, oh, okay, <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right, everybody's got their stuff in. Everybody's getting in. Uh, okay. Dan, how does this van run? Smooth. Van's in great shape. You take pride in your car. You keep it up. Watch you have Do we to, have to give it compliments to, to fuel it up? <laughs> no. Does Dan, Dan does um, Robbie have the craft dots to actually kind of do things on this car himself? Not by himself, but he does t- take care of it. He, you know, it's one of those things where they go, well, you know, you could go do this, and he just, he'll be like, do it. Gotcha. All right, so you fire it up. Uh, it's like I said, it's about ten ten thirty in the morning right now. Uh, you should be back in town in about two hours. Uh, it is Sunday, so it's the, the normal day where Kayane has the awakened that want to come by to study and learn and just generally communicate and chat with each other, uh, update each other on what they're doing and exploring uh, over a good meal. Uh, his property is sort of out of the way. It's actually have it on a map here, but it's on like Tally Hall Road and Martin Luther King, if anybody's familiar with that area. It's kind of next to what looks like be a large lake. A lot of trees around it. The nearest neighbor is not just butting up right on his property. So it is kind of isolated a little bit out of the way. I mean, shouldn't be throwing lightning bolts and fireballs around, but there is enough cover to kind of pull some obvious magic outside uh, if necessary. And there is actually a hollow on the premises near the edge of the lake where it butts up against this property. It's a very weak one, and it's typically usually reserved for Karyane, but 
students and you know people are allowed to use it with request and it's also useful for those that want to meditate and explore their own neuros that kind of thing which that brings us to another question has have any of you actually undergone an astral journey into your own oneros or the collective soul of humanity or anything like that nope all mages can do it um obviously mind magic is very useful in the astral but i mean i feel like as a mind mage i probably would have they probably would have made sure i did it at least once that's fair do you think it was a relatively just painless mundane kind of experience for you or did you not like seeing some of the things that might be lurking around in your head i think it was one of those this will be really cool for me to do six months from now. Gotcha. Does the concept of the Temenos appeal to him in any way, seeing as how it's like the collective version of humanity? Like, the ability to manipulate a person's interesting, but does the thought of being able to manipulate symbols held by thousands of people offer any kind of appeal to uh, Rowan? Oh, no, absolutely. That's one of the things he likes about life magic, is the fact that the, the entire Mastigos philosophy of the fact that you can't ever really... that where the individual exists is a matter of perspective, because we're all microcosms that at certain levels are individuals, but then we're also parts of macrocosms that can be considered individuals. Like, Shrek isn't out yet, but he is totally down with the war- with, with everything being a giant parfait. So the Temenos would definitely hold some interest to him, but I imagine we could say he probably hasn't been yet. Like, Well, no, because usually he has to go through his own stuff, and he's still working through the death of his family, and that, you know, that's that's later. Yeah, I can see that being a roadblock to poking around your own head. Uh, any of you others, have you visited your own soul and perused your own memories and things like that? Oh yeah, at least I've definitely tried. Yeah, it's uh, something every mage can do as long that. as they have access to like a hallow or a domain. Um, it can be a harrowing experience for those that haven't actually read the fiction. Basically, you have access to all your memories, aspects of your personalities can take form. There is something called a, a, a daemon or a daemon that's part of like your, your drive to self-improve. They're not always nice to you because uh, they want you to get better at what your subconscious thinks you need to do to be better. But it's a very interesting place. And it's the gateway to kind of then pushing further out to the Temenos. And like I said, any mage can do it. Just take some time and some meditation and in the right place. Right. Uh, what about um, Robbie and Jeff? Have they done it? Nope. Oh, yeah. Jeff definitely would have. He would have, like, jumped at the chance to see the reflection of forms in the astral realm and stuff like that. So, like I said, uh, Karyane's place does have a hallow. It is outside, so typically if, if you did it there, you grab one of those old, like, you know, foldable lawn chairs, went out there with, like, a, a lemonade and just tried to relax and slip into a meditation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I would have glossed through the Oneros part. Not too, I'm not worried about my soul. I would, I would have been, like, on a straight beeline for the Temenos, so I could see, like, the forms that take shape there. Yeah, or even further, the Anima Monday, the world soul. That's where you can actually brush up against the the sea of the abyss and where the um aeons, the like basically god representatives of each arcana live. So there's definitely a lot of yeah. interesting things to do in, in the astral. Alright, so you're you're on the road. Sophia's listening to her headphones, seems like doing her best to ignore everybody. I just want to say I think that he was probably offered the chance and he turned it down. Gotcha. 
kind of tied into his current feelings of self-doubt or just, just not yep. ready for something that heady yet. No, not that is exactly it. He's smart enough to know that he's not too happy with himself and he doesn't want to go in there. Not looking to see the tongue lashing as Damon would give him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Alright, so, Robbie, you're driving. I'm assuming the AC works in this van as you live in Mississippi and you keep keep care of it. So, you got the AC running. Sophia's sitting next to you, listening to her music, kind of not paying attention to anybody. What are our two little uh, mages in the back doing here? Watching the kudzu go by. <laughs> like, are you stressing out on anything about getting back and having to, like, pick up back with work? No, no, this is kind of kind of meditative, because when he gets back, it's on. But this last little trip, with the green speeding by, and, you know, whatever sounds the road makes... It's the last piece he's going to have for a while, because I'm sure there's way too much that is piled up for him to do. And, I mean, having two months in Jackson to avoid all the things that he wanted to avoid was wonderful. And, you know, summer was summer went by too fast. I mean, honestly, we should really have stayed there another month. <laughs> all right, what about uh, Jeff? What you doing, buddy? Going through your grimoire? Attempting to talk to anybody? No. He's talking the entire time. What are you talking about? <laughs> Until somebody tells him to shut up. He's like, so, Mr. Rowan, how was your training? Did you learn some cool spells? No? <laughs> I imagine just looking out the window with the kudzu. Wow. Awesome. What about you, Robbie? They teach you how to, like, shoot arrows and stuff? Um, not quite. If I shot an arrow, I think I would probably just end up with a bruised arm. Ouch. Did you get a chance to view any of the old artifacts in your place? Did they show you any of the cool stuff? There is an armory, but I did not get access to it. Oh, man. Imagine what cool swords and stuff they've got in there. I bet they've got some old artifacts in, in, in the adamant hand. They had multiple levels of in the vault of the Mysterium. There's some levels we weren't allowed to, but I did get to see some cool things, and some of them are really old. They're just not that powerful, but they were neat. Very neat. Neat. <laughs> okay. uh, so is everybody's going their best to ignore <laughs> Jeffrey? <laughs> so. Which works well, because we know that as long it, the only thing you have to do for Jeffrey to keep talking is nothing. It's true. By the end of this time, you guys will have learned of every cool thing that he saw while he was there. If we <laughs> ever need to distract a maitre d' or a hotel desk clerk or something, we just send Jeffrey in there, and he'll be. And you might look and say, "What's the plan?" I'm gonna, I just, just, just go talk to him. Uh, we're going to take a quick trip down memory lane with each of you. We're going to kind of flash back to a, an earlier time. All right, Dan? So we're coming relatively soon off, like, failing out of school. So the job's mm -hmm. relatively new for you. On top yeah. of that, this weird shit happened, and now, you know, it's becoming too much of a coincidence. Like, you, your car shorting out, battery dying. Like, it's definitely starting to impact your job here. It's eating into my funds, too, because I take care of my car. Yeah. And so, um, it's, like, late. 
almost closing time, like you're coming back after a, a long order, and you got tipped for shit, because it's a college town, and you're lucky you didn't get beat up. I mean, thankfully you're a big enough guy that most people wouldn't think to try to jump you. Not that you, they'd have a lot of money for you to, or for them to take, but... So, you know, you're tired, you've been working for like, probably pulling a double, because like we said, your car has been acting up a lot more lately, and you need that extra cash. But you had your last run, you thought everything was great, you get back in, you know, one of the guys working the counter is like, oh shit, oh, damn it, how did, how the fuck did this fall back behind the fucking oven, Jesus, and you seem like getting on the floor with like a broom and just like, shuffling something out, oh shit, this was placed like a fucking 40 minutes ago. <sighs> hey, Rob, you mind running out one more time? We gotta throw this together real fast. This guy's like a regular, and... Ah, uh, fuck. And he's, like, quickly trying to, like, fry up some rice and, like, get some things going. And it's fairly far away. Like, it's not gonna be the quickest trip for you. But they get everything ready to get in the go. You get out to your van, and, like, it's taking a little little uh, little action to get this bad boy started. But, like, on the fourth or fifth attempt, you know, the engine does kick on. It starts to go. Alright, off we go. Alright, so you're going down the road. And you're maybe, like, about a mile, maybe two, uh, from the house you're supposed to deliver at. And then, kind of going down, like, a little bit of a dirt road, and you hear just a massive bang. <laughs> Your view kind of tilts down as you've clearly just blown a tire, and the van's starting to kind of, like, skid a little bit off-road here. Uh, give me a quick dex and drive roll minus two to see if we hit a tree. Uh, uh, would this fall under my improvising driving specialization? I think it absolutely would. <laughs> Alright, so three, three, minus two, so four dice. Uh, two. Alright, so yeah, you managed to get yeah. control of the wheel here, like, you were tired, but this startled you awake enough. You managed to avoid taking the van off the road into a tree. But you do hear the, the telltale sound of that tire just flap, 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 as you go down further the road. And you know if you push it, you're gonna start running on that road. Right. Pull over, gotta put on the spare. Start getting away. Ah, so you go to look for the spare, and as you're getting it out, you realize this seems way lighter than it should. Alright. Maybe there was a slow leak, um, but yeah, your spare is essentially flat. Don't have a cell phone or anything, so is there a house nearby since I'm driving out to nowhere? Not that you can see. Um, Like I said, the delivery is only about a mile away. Maybe you'll find one on the way, or if you want to just go back the way you came. There might have been a house like about a good half a mile, maybe three quarters of a mile behind you. It's only a mile away. I can jog it. Grab the food and go. So as you're running through the night here (laughs) on the road, thankfully there's not a lot of traffic. Uh, You're running along. Give me a uh, wits composure roll. See if something catches your eye here. Two. So as you're kind of coming around this curve, you think you see somebody sitting on the side of the road. Like looks like there's like a stump where a tree used to be. And a kind of husky gentleman uh, just kind of sitting out there. Looks like he's uh, smoking a cigar. Okay. Just kind of sitting on the side of the road? Yeah, like like just off the side of the road, there's like a tree that was kind of shorn down to the stump. He's just kind of sitting out there in the darkness. Nobody around, no house within sight. Just sitting out there smoking a cigar. Well, that's weird. So I'm going to go over to the other side of the road and keep running. It's not like I'm going to assume he has a cell phone on him because it's 1992. Exactly. Now, hey there, son. What you in a hurry for? Steal somebody's Chinese? I got a flat, and I gotta deliver this. 
Well, why don't you go on and deliver that? And, uh, if I'm still here when you come back, you sit a spell. He kind of, like, reaches into, like, his pocket, pulls out a flask. I'm assuming you do drink. I do, but it might be a while. I'm going to have to make a call when I get there. Oh, that's fine. I'm waiting for somebody anyways. So just, uh, run along now. <sighs> Crazy old thing. All right, I'll think about it. And I'm off. So as you start running, the bag all of a sudden gets way lighter. As you hear, like, the food fall out the bottom of it and just... The styrofoam container pops open, you know, rice and lo mein all over the dirt. It's just not Robbie's night. And then you hear, like, kind of about 20 feet back. Now, that seems quite unfortunate, if a little bit funny. I'm sure I'll think it's funny in a day or two. (sighs) Maybe you could use that drink now. (laughs) You know what? I would love a drink right now. Come over. Is there somewhere I can sit next to him? What is your peripheral mage site, by the way? Just static. There's a lot of static in this. Actually, you know what? No, let's do like a tug, like gravity. So while you were running, like right when the bag split, for like a split second, like your foot felt like it came down to the ground like a lot harder. Like enough to actually leave a good, like, tennis shoe print in the ground. Alright. And you felt that feeling a few times over the last few weeks. Um, it's pretty rare since you're not running into the supernatural a whole lot. But it's usually, you've kind of put two and two together that when that happens, other weird stuff is bound to happen again, like around it. But yeah, Chinese food, your foot slams down, Chinese food spills out in the road. Our portly southern gentleman offered you that drink. Kind of gets up, hands you the flask, kind of gestures for you to have a seat on the stump. You sure? Oh yeah, I've been sitting for a couple hours now. I feel like my ass is starting to hurt. I gotta split them. Alright. What's your name, son? I'm Robbie. Although my name right now seems to be fucked. It's been a rough couple of days. Well, that, that is usually the way of life, son, especially around your age. But most folks call me Benny, and he had to reach his hand out. I'll uh, get back up, because I'm mannerly, and I'll shake his hand. Then I'll sit right back down. So you go to the university over there? I might have seen you around there before. I, I teach there most days. Oh, yeah? What do you teach? Philosophy. I've never been there, but it's possible. I was on campus quite a bit. You live around here? Apartment over on a, insert appropriate, part of Starkville. Because I don't know Starkville, unlike you people. How's that, uh, other than tonight, how's that job of yours working out? Good to see a young man industrious, working for a living. Well, it's helping make ends meet, so that's always a plus. That it is. Making your own fate and all that. Uh, something like that. You see him kind of looking at you, and then you feel that like that kind of tug of gravity and like a weird just kind of sensation around like his eyes, like maybe they glinted weird in the, in the darkness. All right, that was weird. Takes. Did you say that part out loud? <laughs> yeah, because it's so close in proximity to each other. Like he like takes a cigar, like just kind of pushes it against a tree, just kind of like snuffs it out. Huh. Well, I'll be damned. Did not think this is how this was going to go. Or something odd happened to you in the last few months, maybe. Start seeing things you can't quite explain, that kind of thing. I appear to be cooking food around me by being around it. Not any kind of drugs, are you? No. All right, good, yeah. My car's been shortened out, and I take excellent care of it. 
Oh. It pulls out like it's a pocket watch. Should be a few minutes now. Why don't you do me a favor? Let's walk back to that car of yours. See if I can do something about it. So, uh, you have any strange dreams about, like... The spare is flat, too. <laughs> should, shouldn't be a problem. Okay. So, you said you, you've been cooking things and machines are failing around you? I didn't say I was cooking them. I said they appear to be cooking around me. Oh, that is definitely strange. And, uh, any weird dreams lately or anything like that? Because I, I know this is probably just one more thing in the stack of weird shit that's happening to you. But I may have an explanation for it. As crazy as that might sound. Don't even know how to describe that. The, the weird dream I had a couple nights ago. Any kind of tower anything like that? Robbie stops walking at this point. I do not see a car, and yet your feet have stopped. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of just, like, nudges you on the shoulder blade. I start walking again, but... What? Well, I don't want to overwhelm you at the moment here, but let's just say something similar has happened to me and a few others around town. I think that might do you some good to meet these folks in a more congenial setting. Now, I I have a house here in town, nowhere near here, of course, but um, be more than happy to have you come by maybe tomorrow morning, get some breakfast. I can explain, maybe in a little more detail, make me not sound like a strange madman in the middle of the woods about exactly what is happening to you. There is that. As you get back to your car, he just kind of looks at you like, yep, that is definitely a flat tire. Pulls his watch out again, leans back back to your van. He's kind of just like watching you. What are you doing? I'm just waiting. He said, let's see if there's something he can do. So, you know, I know there is nothing he can do. In about six, seven minutes, you see light like filtering through the trees and then you start to hear the sound of a pretty heavy engine and it's like a tow truck comes <laughs> well that was fortunate yeah it was wasn't it hey there son yeah right over here seems like we haven't been in an accident the guy's like either you call like, yeah sure that sounds right well guess I better go back and get more food for this last order finish the job I wouldn't worry about it <laughs> I think he just raises an eyebrow to him at that. It's kind of a, a big old, like, toothy grin, and mustache is kind of drooping. Ah. Yes, young man, you are in for a... Well, it's going to be a ride. Speaking of, hop on in that fucking car. I'm tired of standing out here. Hops in. All right, so we're kind of cutting back to the road now as you're traveling along, and let's say that you were just actually remembering that meeting with him for whatever reason. All right. And then you hear a very similar sound... A very loud And the van is like almost going into a spit And that was our new series Summer Breaks You A Mage the Ascension Game Sign up for Patreon Support us at Any level And this content will be available to you those of you already supporting, thank you so much. Those of you who just want to listen, hey, come back next week for more of the Big Guns content. And until then, we'll see you in the next stream.